Hi, this is Bron Burton and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page. Good morning. It's one minute past nine. You're tuned to 102.73 Triple R. It's time for this week's edition of Radio Marinara. Good morning to you. My name is Bron Burton and joining me on Skype is... Farm. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Hey, Farm. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. I mean, I am really liking the taste of freedom these days. I don't know about you. <laughs> You're getting sick of donuts? Uh, a little. <laughs> You know we don't have to eat them. To, uh, uh, it's just it's just time to you know get rid of the donut uh, extra kilos right now by <laughs> surfing and diving and going back to the ocean. And it is another double donut day, in case you're wondering. So um, we're kind of getting used to them now. So yeah, exactly. Getting back into it, getting back into the water. This uh, great taste of freedom that we have. Um, thank you so much, Tim, for wonderful vital bits. Uh, some wonderful uh, NADOC tunes today um yeah terrific and thank you so much for a full weekend of vital bits and you can always catch tim next saturday at 6 a.m or anytime between six and nine and likewise on sunday or via on demand you can just listen to tim 24 7 if you want who wouldn't want to do that so thank you very much and thanks to andrew of course for um soulful bits as well on our program today, shortly we're going to be joined also on Skype, I think, by Rex Hunter. He is our maritime archaeologist expert and he's going to be talking about the maritime cultural landscapes of Hobson's Bay. That's all I know, Fum. It's going to be another fantastic segment, I'm sure. <laughs> it will be. Yeah, Rex often gives me a little bit more information than this, so I, I kind of like to be kept guessing. So we'll uh, we'll find out yeah. more from Rex shortly. Yeah. <laughs> It just keeps us at the edge of our feet. Yes, exactly. Then uh, very, oh, we've got tons and tons of news, which we'll um, we'll get into. But then, uh, Farm, this is very exciting, and and all thanks to you for setting this one up. We're crossing to Tasmania and specifically to Launceston to speak with Deborah Osterhager. She is a Tasmanian-based marine ecologist about some spectacular footage, which she managed to identify of a very elusive deep sea squid called a big fin squid uh, in the Great Australian Bight. And this came about from the 2017 research voyage of the CSIRO vessel Investigator. And Deb was one of sort of the a, a very large team, you know, trawling through all of this deep sea footage to, to see what was down there and suddenly spotted a squid that she uh, hadn't recognised from Australian waters before. So we're going to be talking with Deb about this very exciting discovery and, and what it means for the global distribution of big fin squid. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> this came about because you, you, you came across her paper during the week, Farm. It's hot off the press. It's only been published this yeah, week. Yeah, I did. I did. It was, uh, there's news articles on ABC News. That's how I came across it. And, uh, yeah, it's only been published this week. So I'm very excited to speak with Deb. Um, yeah, it's going to be a good one. Stick yes. around. And then we've got tons and tons of news. Um, there's a new podcast, which you're going to talk about, Farm, called Sea Creatures. Yep. There's um, nominations for the upcoming Coastal Awards. Yes, we have those. 
<laughs> uh, and uh, I've got a few bits and pieces as well. A great webinar happening on Thursday about changes in reef condition across Port Phillip Bay. We've also um, been alerted to a sighting of a uh, an introduced species of shore crab, thanks to our longtime listener and Triple R subscriber Adam Edmonds. Thanks, Adam, for sending that our way. So we'll talk about that one a little bit too. Uh, what else have we got? The Great Victorian Fish Count, um, a plea from the Victorian Fisheries Authority for fishers who are, you know, getting getting a little bit beyond the boundaries of fishing um, at the Ricketts Point Marine Sanctuary. So we'll we'll um, give that one a bit of a shout out as well. All right, lots to get through. Uh, why don't we start with a look at the weather forecast? I believe you have that there, Farm. I do. It's going to be fantastic today. We're getting the first taste of summer now. So for the Melbourne area, today is a maximum of 33, partly cloudy and a slight chance of a shower, uh, most likely during this afternoon and evening, although it was just raining here in Coburg, so you might want to bring a rain jacket today. Uh, there is a chance of a thunderstorm later tonight with some gusty winds. Uh, winds to north to northeasterly, 25 to 40 k's an hour becoming northerly uh, 40 to 60 k's an hour in the middle of the day and then decreasing again in the evening. So there is a gale warning today for the Port Phillip area. So if you're going to go out um, diving, snorkeling, or you'll be on your boat, just be aware of that. There's also a strong wind warning for the following areas of Western Port, Central Coast, and East Gippsland Coast. Uh, the weather for the rest of the week is looking pretty sweet. Monday, 23, Tuesday, 20, and then it goes up again Wednesday, 26, Thursday, 32, and then it stays in the low 20s for the rest of the week. Maximum 32 degrees today for Geelong and the Surf Coast area. Very similar weather, um, similar kinds of winds. Um, so, yeah, if you're going to be out there in the surfboard, probably best to go right, right after the show because it's going to get pretty windy uh, from here. Yeah, the tides. Sorry, oh, go. Yeah. <laughs> tides north of the bay. The next low tide will be at 2:44 p.m. Um, if you're going to be around the surf beaches, the next high tide will be 11:56 a.m. And if you're going to go for a dive uh, on the Mornington Peninsula, Sorrento, your next high tide will be at 1:52 p.m. And that's it for the weather. Great, thank you, Farm. I reckon we've got time for a news item or two. Um, do you want to kick off? Yeah, well, first of all, before we do any other news, um, I would really like to congratulate the Yarra River Keeper, Andrew Kelly. Uh, he won the Keep Victoria Beautiful Dame Phyllis Frost Award uh, last Friday. So that's very exciting. Uh, he is now the third river keeper, actually, who uh, has won this, this fantastic prize. And the award is, is given to recognise outstanding individual achievements uh, with contributions that have had a significant impact on the on their community. So um, well-deserved, Andrew Kelly. Congratulations. That's great. Congratulations, Andrew. Very good. Um, let's go with one more, I think, and then we'll play a track. Ah, great. So I just wanted to plug as well, since we're talking about awards, uh, this Friday from 4.30 till 6.30 p.m., the Victorian Marine and Coastal Awards will be held online they had to be postponed i believe uh this year due to COVID, but they've set everything up and uh, you can now enjoy them uh, from your living room uh the Mar victorian marine and coastal awards are organized by the victorian marine and coastal council and uh this year they're working together um with the peeps from the royal society of victoria as well which is great our favorite scientists down here and these awards recognize and celebrate outstanding achievements of individuals and organizations contributing to managing, protecting, and enhancing Victoria's marine and coastal environments for the enjoyment of everybody. So 
So the awards will be online and finalists and winners will be announced by uh, the Minister for Energy, Environment and Climate Change, uh, Lily D'Ambrosio. So we will put a link on the Facebook page so you can sign up, grab a beer and uh, yeah, sit back and, and enjoy looking at all these wonderful projects and communities that have been working really hard to um, change our marine and coastal environments for the better. So I'm looking forward to that. It's always a great time of the year to actually, you know, to, to have that validation and have that recognition of so many community, particularly the community-based groups that are doing such wonderful work all year round and, you know, particularly during the time of um, of COVID and here in Victoria when we went, you know, through such a an extended lockdown to have all these groups continue to push on with the work that they're doing just in a different form of just extraordinary so yeah thanks fam i'm really looking forward to seeing how uh, who the winners are but also you know for those who are nominated i they're already winners so thank you for all your work and yeah we'll report back on that yeah, one look forward to it. yeah all right 914 you're listening to radio marinara here on three triple r and without further ado we're now going to cross to rex hunter our own our very own your ours rex hunter maritime archaeologist heritage <laughs> specialist i don't know i keep making up a different title for you each time you're on how are you rex and rex are you there no, we seem to have lost Rex. Uh, Kent is going to get him on the phone. So while he does that, are you still there with us, Fum? I am still here. Excellent. <laughs> I'm well, like a weed. I can go away. <laughs> no, that's great. That's what we want. Hey, uh, let's. Um, we've got a ton of news to get through. Do you have anything else there? If you don't, I do. Well, I just wanted to plug... Um, a very new yet um, really amazing podcast um, that has popped up lately. Um, it's done by Matt Testoni, who's a, I don't know if you know, but he's a fantastic underwater photographer who shoots a lot of local underwater uh, images here, um, specifically sea dragons and all the beautiful stuff that lives on the sponge reefs here mm. in Port Phillip Bay. And uh, he's a, a, a co-host as well of our sister station, at 3CR. Um, he uh, uh, hosts out of the blue as well and he just started a sea creatures podcast and it is actually really fantastic <laughs> so the podcast is all about the amazing animals that live beneath the waves and every episode uh matt chats with somebody about a specific sea creature uh with a guest who has spent time with that sea creature and interacted with that particular animal and um the guests range from marine biologists to divers to underwater photographers citizen scientists and just people in general that have a really intense passion for marine life. And, um, yeah, so far the lineup is looking, uh, it's been looking pretty good. There's about 13 uh, podcasts at the moment that you can download. And uh, there's a lot of familiar voices on here, um, such as uh, Nigel Marsh and Shannon Hurley and Jack Breeden, Josie Jones, and even our own Kate Mills. Um, so it's, it's just really lovely to hear people speak about their favorite sea creature um and uh <laughs> something else i wanted to mention about is that even sir david attenborough got a hold of this podcast oh. and has regrammed it on instagram a few weeks ago to give it a plug um so yeah you know sir david attenborough is uh, impressed with this you should definitely download it so get it at spotify apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and google Podcasts as well and um yeah learn about the marine animals that we have around us that's wonderful. Sea Creatures is the name of the podcast if um, if you missed that. So, yeah, great. Thank you, Fum. I think we have Rex with us now. Rex, are you there? 
Uh, <laughs> ready and willing and waiting. <laughs> Did you think you'd uh, head off for a quick dive or something? <laughs> yes, we had a quick splash before the wind came up. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I sense it's getting very blowy out there. All right, I mentioned at the start of the program you're going to be talking about maritime cultural landscapes of Hobson's Bay. Yeah. Take it away. What, sounds, what do we know? That sounds really interesting. Give me a start. <laughs> well, um, well, I suppose we first we'll have to ask what maritime cultural landscapes are. And if you um, look at maritime archaeology, it's as much fun as, fun as it is digging up shipwrecks and all that type of thing. You need to have some sort of theory to understand the whole the whole, uh, the whole uh, scene as holistically. So, I mean, you can't have a, a shipwreck without infrastructure, generally, in um, Hobson's Bay. So we have things like uh, we have, uh, yeah, ships coming to Hobson's Bay and you need jetties, piers and jetties to unload cargo, that type of thing. Um, and then from there you have, like, even modes that take all the way to the city and these still, uh, still these footprints still exist. So there's places like Bay Street, Port Melbourne, that if you go down there and it runs in City Road and you go down City Road and eventually you end up on St Kilda Road and then left over Princess Bridge and you're in the city. Well, that goes right back to the 1850s and 1840s. So this is all, all part of your maritime cultural landscapes. We look at uh, everything holistically and um, what you can't, that you can't do is you can't separate land from sea, especially with um, maritime ships, that type of thing. So there was a, a, a Norwegian maritime archaeologist called Christo Westall, and he uh, he sort of promoted this in the, the mid-'80s when he was looking at sites in Norway and and seeing, you know, you, you just can't, you can't isolate fishermen away from the land. You can't isolate, uh, you know, uh, piers, jetties, beacons, lighthouses. It all ties together. So we have, um, what I've been doing is I've been looking at the uh, maritime cultural landscapes of uh, Hobson's Bay during the 1850s, and that's a really dynamic period where the, where the gold rushes started, and that would sort of a, Melbourne went from being virtually like a country town, small country town, into being one of the, the most thriving, prosperous cities in the world within 10 short years. So it had massive infrastructure being built, um, piers, jetties, the river was dredged. I mean, it was just... Today, it would have been, you know, tens of hundreds of billions of dollars spent in, um, in infrastructure at Melbourne. So we've got um, a couple of surviving sites to look at. Uh, I mean, so some of these still, sites still exist from the 1850s in Melbourne and still being used. If um, we can look at, uh, like, at Point Jallybrand, uh, there was the old, there's an old quarry site where the uh, prisoners, prisoners used to quarry stone for uh, infrastructure works like Breakwater Pier, um, Tidegate House at Williamstown. So you've got all this. Inf we've got this um, amazing site where you can see, still see the quarry, the quarry evidence of quarrying taking place during the 1850s by um, prisoners, so Victorian prisoners, and they were stored. And they were kept on prison hulks off in Hobson's Bay, and each day they'd be brought, brought ashore, landed, and then uh, worked the quarries. And they were taught how to dress stone, and um, and they would do that all all day. So you've got all this sort of 
infrastructure and, and landscapes, and the landscapes still exist, I said, from the 1850s at Point Jellybrand itself. So we can look at some of that, um, some of the infrastructure. If you go around to a place called Commonwealth Reserve, where the, uh, where the, um, yeah, uh, where the, oh God, I can't think of the ship, the ship, the HMA is Castlemania. And in there, there's an old, what they call a tide gauge house, and that's made of bluestone. And that originally sat on breakwater pier and gave, um, gave indication of what, what the tides were on the, uh, on the mouth of the Yarra River. Because at the mouth of the Yarra River during the 1850s and uh, 60s, well, there was only uh, like two, two and a half metres of water. So any vessel over 200 tonnes couldn't even go up that far. So they had to you know the state of the tide. And there was, there was this um, tide gauge house built. So you can go there at, at the uh, Commonwealth Reserve, look around, you can see, actually see the original chisel mask of the uh, convict or prisoner stonemasons that uh, built, built these, uh, this infrastructure. So other sites include, um, like, Town Pier at Port Melbourne. So I talked about Bay Street as a linkage to uh, to the sea. So if you, you imagine you can take a get a package or piece of cargo, whatever, passenger, and you can take it all the way from the UK, sail it to uh, Hobson's Bay, unload that piece of cargo at, at uh, the old Town Pier, and then that would be taken via car into Melbourne. So you've got this linkage important linkage and existing landscape. So at the site, at the end of Bay Street, it's the site of the, um, I think, the Port Melbourne Sailing Club now. Offshore, this extends out 600 metres or there's still evidence of the original piles, piles of the, uh, the pier and jetty site. So it's really, uh, it's really quite, quite interesting, these linkages. Oh. Um, we've got... Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think Farm has a question for you, Rex. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Rex, I'm I'm really interested in this whole landscape idea, um, and I'm I'm a very visual person, and one of the things I really like to do to get more of a, a you know a, a visual picture of what places used to look like is uh, going to to museums and looking at old paintings of of maritime uh, areas such as Hobson's Bay. Is there any place that you know of that has collections like these, like in a museum or something like that, where we can see those particular well, um, uh, landmarks and landscapes um, as they used to be? Well, there's the uh, Port Melbourne Historical Society. They have the collections, images um, in, their, in their, their collection there. But also, if you go to the uh, State Library of Victoria website and you just go type, there's a, a number of search parameters, and you can just cite type in, say, Port Melbourne and, uh, or somewhere like, or uh, it was originally called Sandwich, and you, you type in piers, piers and jetties or something like that, and there's just virtually hundreds of pictures of the old, um, well, of, uh, like, Railway Pier, which is Station Pier, and the old ship's tied up there. So there's, it's all, there's a, a number of resources there. That, but the State Library of Victoria is really, really good with, um, as far as that. You know, visual resources where you can actually see what was there. And there's also, they have marine charts as well. So they have digital copies of uh, marine charts of from so 1850s through the you know, 1970s or Hobson's Bay. Also, we, um, 
National Library of Australia, they have a good collection as well. They have um, a number of good charts. You can digital copies, so you can download them and use them as a resource as well. You can plot where the old piers and jetties and anchorages and all that, that those types of things were. Uh, that's too much. That sounds like a good day out, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a good way to spend a day. When we can eventually go back to the State Library and those places, they're great, great institutions to get into just... Look at the resources because they have rare, the rare books and rare maps and all these types of things. You can just get in and uh, just find some incredible information. Rex, you talk, you're talking about some of the markings that you can see down um, that have been sort of chiselled into the rock. Can people go down there and see them now? Yeah, yeah. You just catch a catch a train to Williamstown, drive down, and you, you can go see the um, you can go see the like the original chisel marks. Where the um, where the prisoners have chiselled the stone, you can also go to Point Jelly Brand itself, and you can see the drill holes where they drill the holes for, to um, put plugs and feathers to split the stone. You can see um, evidence, you know, quarries and evidence where they've had cranes and all that type of thing. So it's really, really, um, really a significant site there. It must feel pretty amazing to be there and, and see these markings. And sort of, do you feel sort of like you're catapulted back in time? Yeah, it is. You, you, you can pick. <laughs> Jane just turned the hose on. It just went <laughs> splashed out back her window. <laughs> you get a bit of a fright yeah. there, Rex. <laughs> yeah. Almost woke me up. Oh, it, it is quite amazing. You can actually, yeah, you, you can actually touch. You know, you can put your hand on a stone, a prisoner or convict. You know, touched, chiselled out. You know, in the 1850s. So it is quite amazing. And you can read the story of the quarrying how the quarrying took place, see, see the techniques, and then you see the fi uh, final result with the chiselled uh, chiselled stonework Com Commonwealth Reserves. So it is really, really, really significant and, and interesting. Amazing. What, what have you got coming up over the next few weeks, Rex? I think we might have you on the program once more before the end of the year. Yeah, I think I'm back on the third. Um, goodness, I've always got something on the card. So, yeah, more Rex searches go out and... Mow the lawns again now that we're allowed out. So I've got a, got a number of projects on the go. I'm looking for some um, like little sail traders of Port Phillip Bay because uh, they really interest me. Little guys that would you know carry firewood or ballast or sand or general cargo up and down the bay. A number of them sunk over over the years. So I've I'm, I'm got, got a couple of sites I want to check out with my side scan sonar. And uh, yeah, I said there's always... Always something. I never run out of things to do. <laughs> and have things started to lift again now that the restrictions have been eased? Are you and your maritime archaeologist um, colleagues getting out there and, and continuing picking up where you left off? Uh, we haven't quite fired up because you know, we're still waiting for the uh, restrictions to ease a little bit more before we get together. So we've got some photogrammetry projects coming up on the City of Lawn System and the, um, there's a little lime trader called the Jew, which is wrecked off rye. So we're going to go out there and do some photogrammetry, which is like a 3D imaging with um, software and uh, underwater cameras. So you can actually take, take, take 2,000, 3,000 photos or a shipwreck and then you run it through a, a software program. And with that, you can manipulate the, um, the image. So you can twist around and look and get measurements of it's all, uh, well, it's all the range of archaeologists and uh, 
those types of people these days, it's quite... Their software is amazing, amazing. I mean, they're doing huge shipwrecks like you're doing, you know, a couple hundred foot, foot long shipwrecks and you can actually swim inside. So this will be the, this is where it's going in the future. You'll be able to do a dive from home where somebody, you know, they image shipwrecks anywhere around the world and you put your 3D goggles on and you can actually swim inside this and look around. Huh. It, it's, the technology is amazing what's coming on. Fantastic. All right, yeah. we'll let you go, Rex. Have a wonderful Sunday and, um, and yeah, good luck with your explorations over the next few weeks and we'll catch up with you in uh, about a month's time. Yeah, hopefully I've got some good news. <laughs> I hope so too. <laughs> yeah, okay, thanks. Thanks, See you, Rex. Bye. See you. Bye for See now. Bye. Bye. Rex Hunter there, our, our maritime archaeologist. And what would we do without Rex? Uh, fantastic couple of quick news items. In fact, I might just do one and then we'll go to the track And because uh, we're very keen to line up um, Deb Osterhager uh, in Launceston to talk about these big fin squid. Very exciting. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention was um, this week there is a free online webinar. It's called Beneath Port Phillip Bay and this has been put together by um, Reef Life Survey. Uh, so this is a free event that you can go to. They're going to be doing a, uh, a deep dive into the changes that have occurred across Port Phillip Bay's reef ecosystems and discussing how citizen science from the Reef Life Survey program are recording and monitoring the changes. So it'll be a, a presentation and a Q&A with um, RLS, Reef Life Survey volunteer and Sydney coordinator, Dr. John Turnbull, as well as the uh, their president and co-founder, Associate Professor Rick Stewart-Smith and uh, marine ecologists, Associate Professor oh, Dan uh, Yero Diakonu. I always make a muck up Dan soon. I'm sorry, Dan, if you're listening. Yero Diakonu uh, from Deakin Uni and also a Dr. Scott Ling from IMAS as well. So what you need to know, it's taking place this coming Wednesday, 25th of November from 2 till 2.45. You can register um, via a Zoom link, which uh, we will put on our Radio Marinara Facebook page and uh, get along to that if you can. It's going to be fantastic and hopefully recorded because uh, noting that two o'clock is probably going to be a bit tricky for some people to get to. Um, another just a super quick plug is for the Great Victorian Fish Count. Um, Cade will be in next week to speak more to that. Um, but that kicked off yesterday. It's running till the 13th of December. And this year um, they, they feature a different fish in the, um, uh, a lot, you know, under the Victorian waters each year. And this year it's the Victorian scaly fin, territorial reef fish with a bit of a reputation among divers for strongly enforcing its personal space. <laughs> I reckon Cage would written that. Or shall we say social distancing? Yes, I've had a couple of encounters with a scaly fin and they like to let you know that you might be getting a little bit close to their territory. Uh, so the Victorian scaly fin is the feature fish for this year's Victorian fish count. Um, so for more information, you can go to vnpa.org.au and we'll talk to Cade more about that. But if you want to get out there and be part of the great Victorian fish count, it's a wonderful event which happens every year. Nine thirty-three. You think well, we'll have to we'll have to ask Kate if he chose that species specifically for its socially distanced uh, proclivities <laughs> for this year. <laughs> That's a good point, Farm. Yeah, definitely. We'll ask him that next week. Nine thirty-eight. You're listening to Radio Marinara here on Three Triple R. 
now to deep sea flappers, which is our made-up term for marine equivalent of twitches. Spotting a big fin squid is a big-time score on deep sea bingo cards. They live in the deep oceans. They're not territorial, and until recently, there'd never been a sighting of a big fin squid in Australian waters. So can you imagine the excitement when Deborah Osterhager, Tasmanian-based marine ecologist who describes herself as a deep sea geek, spotted one in footage taken from the 2017 voyage of the CSIRO Vessel Investigator. To, do, to find out more about Big Fin Squid, uh, Deborah's Eureka moment and what this footage means, we're crossing to Launceston now to speak with Tasmanian marine ecologist Dr Deborah Osterhager. Good morning, Deborah. Welcome to Triple R and to Radio Marinara. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So great to have you with us. Now, most people listening are probably familiar with squid as we've talked a lot about them over the years on this program um, and giant squid, but not Big Fin Squid. Can you describe Big Fin Squid for us? Well, yeah, they're a little unusual. So they're a deep-sea squid um, found around about two kilometres to almost five kilometres deep. They have big fins, hence the name, and they're probably as wide as the body is long. And then they've got these really extremely long, slender, some people say spaghetti-like filaments that extend from the tips of their arms and tentacles. And uh, its other nickname is the elbow squid because sometimes it holds those arms and tentacles in a pose that looks like it's got kinked kind of elbows, which is really weird. And they can get up to seven metres long, so they can be quite large. Seven metres long. Mm, yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. So to clarify, and I did mention this, but these aren't giant squid, are they? They're different. No, not at all. So, yeah, giant squid, I mean, they can get up to 15 metres long and they're really fast um, hunters is what we're seeing from footage that's been seen um, in the deep sea. But um, these big fin squid are quite different. Um, yeah, up to seven metres is what they've been seen so far. And... The big fin squids, their arms and tentacles kind of trail behind them almost passively. Um, you can see in some of the footage we got, it almost looks like mermaid hair or something kind of trailing behind. Um, and they're mostly arms and tentacles. I mean, um, we measured one and the arms and tentacles actually made up, um, 11, they were 11 times the length of the body. So if you think proportionally, the one we measured was 1.8 metres and the body was actually only 15 centimetres. All the rest of the 1.8 metres was all arms and tentacles. Oh. So that's a, that's a bit different from the giant squid as well. Yeah. Right. So 15 centimetres. So the, the animals themselves yeah. aren't particularly big, but the size of the fins on the side of them are huge and they move so beautifully and gracefully through the water. Yeah, they remind me a bit of a Spanish dancer in terms of how they move. They do, and I'm like, I've watched the footage a lot, obviously, because um, we base the paper off the footage. Um, and I still find it really kind of relaxing to watch, <laughs> that slow undulation. I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, my gosh, it's a scary-looking squid. But I actually find them quite um, relaxing, and their colours are quite delicate, and they've got a bit of translucency there. And so I think they're quite a beautiful animal. Now, Farm, I know you have a question. So Farm um, actually discovered you, uh, Deb, and your amazing work. Uh, so Farm? Yeah, I just have – you said before, Deb, that they're, they're not like giant squid in the sense that they, they don't hunt like that. Because giant squid, you know, you have these huge eyes uh, mm. that they use for hunting and they're super, super fast. 
and quite yeah. ferocious. But these guys sound like really chill dudes just kind of flapping through the ocean. <laughs> and uh, instead of uh, chasing down their prey, they kind of like just angle for them with their spaghetti arms? Or what are they doing with those? Well, we're not exactly sure, but there's, you know, people are kind of taking guesses as to how they feed. We really need more footage or a specimen. But one of the theories is these long, thin um, filaments are quite sticky. They're covered in really, really minute suckers. Um, and actually, in um, some previous footage, um, one got stuck on an ROV and I had a hard time getting it off <laughs> because it was so sticky. <laughs> but they actually... Um, so they... That elbow pose I mentioned before, they often um, put their arms and tentacles out at right angles and then these filaments um, dangle down at a right angle to the seafloor, like an elbow. And so some people think that they're using these um, sticky filaments to fish for their prey, like hanging down a whole heap of fishing lines. Um, so we're yet to find out if that's the case. But if it is, you're right, there would be a very kind of passive way of getting food. Mm. Yeah, well, we don't know until we see it, I guess, right? I mean, exactly. for all you know, they might be using them as lassoes or something and just like... <laughs> they could be like skipping that. with them. It's, it's, yeah, it's but so we do know that they're retractable as well. To... What was that, sorry? Oh, I'm just saying that it's so remarkable that you have been able to film uh, quite a bit of their um, their poses, their body poses, and their behavior in that sense. And it's also quite remarkable that you found quite a few in the same spot, didn't you? Because because previous sightings all over the world have only um, really seen one in, in each location, but in the Australian Bight, you said there were several that you spotted? Yeah, that's right. So, uh, I mean, there haven't even been that many sightings around the world and before this study there was only about a dozen over a period of 30 years around the world um, so to find five is um, pretty huge mm. um, so yeah previously it's mostly been just individual ones there's been a couple of reports where there's been two and they haven't been sure whether they were it, seeing the same squid again and again. Um, so we've been able to do measurements of each of these five um, to determine they are separate squid. They're not just the same squid swimming past going, hi, um, five times. So um, it is really amazing to see that many at the same time. And it kind of also tells us a bit about their ecology, gives us a few more questions. Because although we looked at a really large area in the Great Australian Bight, um, they were actually found clustered close to each other in time and space. So I think um, they were separated by as little as two hours and 300 metres, I think. Um, so they were, yeah, quite close together. And why, we don't know. There's still so many things that we need to learn about this squid. But, I mean, sometimes animals in the deep sea are found clustered together because of habitat preference or getting together for reproduction or even being clustered together by strong currents and things like that. So we're not sure, but because we've seen so many, it's, it's really interesting because up until now we thought they were just hanging out by themselves.
Yeah, it's very exciting too when you think about it, Deb, that out of all of the sightings of this particular animal in the entire world over the entire history of time, a third of them, so you're saying that we've only had a dozen sightings um, over the last mm. 30 years and, and suddenly you've come up with five uh, out of mm. this one voyage. A third of them have come from this one particular um, this voyage of the investigator. It's amazing. Right. It's very, very exciting. <laughs> and the other exciting part of this, of course, is this is the, the first time evidence that um, big fin squid are in Australian waters because until now it was only, we only ever had evidence that they were somewhere else. That's right, and um, they'd only been seen a couple of times in the Southern Hemisphere as well. So, um, yeah, lots of firsts. Yeah. For, yeah. Can you tell us a bit about that eureka moment for you when, mm-hmm. when you – so you sort of put us in the picture. You're sitting there and, and, and your job with CSIRO was to trawl through all of this footage. What was the, how was that moment? When did you actually realise you were looking at something pretty special? Well, we actually had two voyages where we collected images. So the first one was with a towed camera, which is what it sounds like. It's a camera that's towed behind a ship. And the second one was using ROVs. So um, from the first voyage, I got all the videos and images from the towed camera. And back in the video lab on land, I was going through them. And, uh, yeah, as you said before, I'm a little bit of a deep-sea geek. <laughs> love watching, I used to love watching all the, you know, Nautilus things and things like that. But before I even studied to be a, a scientist, um, I had read about these mysterious elbow squid um, in a book by Richard Ellis, and um, and it really piqued my curiosity. I thought that was amazing. Um, and so I, I knew about them, and I was sitting there looking at the images, and we'd almost hit one with the toad camera. We'd got, gotten so close to it and I recognised it immediately because of those kinked elbows, the really long filaments, those big fins and instantly excited because I knew how rare it was to see them and that they'd never been seen before in Australia. And so we uh, rode off to the people who named the squid and got confirmation of the um, ID, which was pretty exciting as well. Um, so we knew that we had um, them in the Great Australia Bite from those toad camera images. And so then the following voyage... Yeah, go on. No, I was going to say the actual name is... It's Magna... Uh, Magna Pinnae, is that right? Yeah, so the family is um, Magna, Magna Pinnidae. Oh, Pinnidae. Um, and the genus is uh, Magna Pinna. And there's three um, well-described species based on um, damaged and juvenile specimens. Um, but they think there might be as much as five um, species, but it's because of the damage they have in a lot of these um, specimens, it's hard to be able to be definitive about that. Yeah. So, yeah. And so you got them identified and, and then mm. I guess all the excitement started to spread. It did. So the next voyage we had planned, so the, the toad camera one was in two, 2015, the ROV one was in 2017, and there's a lot of prep that goes into... Um, these big voyages um, and we had a lot of scientists uh, from around Australia and even as far as New Zealand coming and everyone has their little creature they want to spot and so we got together a little I guess critter hot list um, kind of a wish list of, of animals that we wanted to either collect or film in the deep sea and so we made sure to add the big fin screen to that we put pictures up so that all the scientists who are working with the ROV operators would know what to look out for and um that's yeah, so cool so, so like a bingo yeah, card <laughs> <laughs> a deep like, sea bingo card i love it 
yeah. We actually stuck the, the pictures up on the wall because when we were working with the ROV operators, I don't know if you're familiar with the ROVs, the ones we were using were as big as vans, and so they're remotely controlled from the surface with, I guess, joysticks. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm picturing, <laughs> like, Deep Sea's Most Wanted. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, we we did have a wish list. And actually, when we uh, did start spotting things, we were crossing them off with a little red <laughs> pen. So it was a bit like bingo. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Farm, you had a question? Yeah, I have I have one question about um, kind of where, where you see things going from here, Deb, because the ABC reported on your, uh, on your fantastic paper, and they also said that, you know, you, basically on those trips, you discovered 900 new species for the Great Australian Bite uh, on those trips, and those squids were uh, one of over 300 new species, um, you know, discovered on that particular trip. And I was wondering, where do you see discoveries like these um, contribute to ocean protection, especially of the Great Australian Bite? Well, um, just to clarify, so this wasn't a new species, it was a new record um, for the Great Australian Bite. So, um, yeah, there was around about 300 new species um, found from specimens that were collected, and yeah, and around 900 that were new records that had never been seen before in the Great Australian Bite. Um, so, every single time we go and survey in the deep sea, we're finding. Um, new species it's a really underexplored part of our world and I, mostly because it's really hard to get to it's a little bit like space you can't just go there um no human can just go down kilometers down so and it's very expensive to use the equipment you need to get down there so um i think they say there's less than five percent of the deep sea in the world has been explored and even less than that on the deep sea floor so it's not really surprising that we're finding all these new things because we just simply haven't looked at it before. And um, before these surveys that CSIRO did in the Great Australia Bight, we actually knew practically nothing about what was living down there in the deep sea. Um, so I guess when we're doing this, we're getting baseline data um, even. Because we don't know what's there, it's really valuable because... Um, you kind of need to know what's there in order to know how it's being affected by, you know, things like climate change and other pressures on, on the deep sea. So, yeah, we need to do more <laughs> exploration. It's yeah, yeah, I think it's really important to get that those baseline data, especially when there are, you know, big oil companies petitioning the Australian government to drill in those places and getting away with it almost, you know, if it wasn't for extensive community uh, protests. Because, you know, if we don't know what is down there, then how are we, you know, going to protect these areas in, in a proper way? And, and so this kind of research is just so extremely valuable. And, and as you said, it's actually, I think it's more exciting than space exploration because actually we're finding so many new things every time you guys go out. It's, it's quite remarkable. I I'm a bit biased, but I agree. Yeah, I agree too. <laughs> My partner's really into space exploration. I'm like, well, the deep sea protocol. You've got all these alien-like things down there as well that, you know, it's um, a really different environment and, yeah, different um, ways of life down there. So, 
Yeah. For me, it's a no-brainer and uh, we might have to take Dr Shane up on this one. I reckon we could end up in fisticuffs over it. But, um, Deb, look, that's just been wonderful. Uh, thank you so much. And where can people go for more information? Um, I, I say that having already put a link on our Facebook page to your paper and uh, yeah. and you've sent me some footage um, of the squid, so some actual video footage, um, which I'll put up there as well. Uh, where can people go to, to get some more information on this? So the paper has all the images and the videos that we got from the Great Australian Bite Survey. So that's a good point if you want to watch all the different um, videos that we got. Um, but if they want some more background about um, Magna Pinna Squid, the Tree of Life um, webpage, if you Google Tree of Life and Bigfin Squid or Magna Pinna, that's got... Um, it's actually uh, made by the the guys who named the squid and, and kept updated, and so that's got information about every single specimen that's been um, captured and a lot of information about sightings as well. So, yeah, if you and want to explore more, that would yeah, go for it. We'll put it. We'll put another link to the paper on our website because uh, some science papers, if you don't have a science background, can be uh, a little bit. Um, a bit tricky to navigate, but this one's actually really easy to read. Uh, I have I have no uh, no um, yeah. I'm, I'm fully confident people who can who will see this will be able to understand it, and and it just explores the uh, the world of the uh, big fin squid in in such great detail. Deb, thanks so much for joining us today. It's no been way. wonderful speaking with you. Thank you. It's been great to share. <laughs> you hope to catch up with you again. Thank you. That would be great. Uh, All right, bye. Bye. Bye for now. That was. Thanks, uh, Deb. Uh, Deb Osterhager and thanks Farm so much for um, for finding Deb and setting that up for us. No worries, I'm so excited. I think I'm just going to be watching this footage for the rest of the day. <laughs> it really is very calming to sit there and watch these beautiful deep sea squid just uh, just doing their thing so far underwater. Nine fifty-seven and the last couple of minutes of Radio Marinara. A couple ones things I wanted to plug. Uh, one is a release that's come out from the uh, from Agriculture Victoria about the spotting of an Asian shore crab uh, suspected in Mount Martha and Ricketts Point. This is actually causing uh, quite some uh, some concern um, because the Asian shore crab is an introduced species originally from waters around Japan, Russia, North China and Korea uh, and hasn't been known to be established in Australia but definitely has the potential to become a major pest. So uh, it can be the key features are banded markings on the legs, three spines on either side of the eyes, spots on the claws and a square shaped shell up to about four centimetres wide. Uh, if you happen to spot what you think might be an Asian shore crab, we'll put a link to that on our Facebook page because it really does have quite obvious markings. Um, you uh, Best thing to do would be to maybe just take a photo and send it through to marine.pests at agriculture.fic.gov.au. There's also a phone number 136186. That's 136186. And let them know where and when you've uh, found what you think is the crab. Don't do anything with it. Don't pick it up or destroy it or anything like that. But, um, yeah, best to let people know as soon as possible. Uh, the other one I wanted to quickly mention was a media release that came through from the Victorian Fisheries Authority, Bayfish is urged to do the right thing. So, uh, look, there have been some concerns of some sightings of people who are fishing within the Marine Point, uh, Ricketts Point Marine Sanctuary nearby Morris, uh, and fisheries officers have been getting out there and patrolling the area areas but uh, just a, a plea from them it's great to get out there and uh, do what you love doing but uh, please respect those boundaries of our marine protected areas 
If you're concerned that you're spotting someone doing something that they're not meant to be doing um, within a marine sanctuary, you can call 13FISH. So that's 133474 and uh, speak directly to a fisheries officer and uh, they'll be able to respond to your concerns. 9.59, that's the end of Radio Marinara for today. Thank you very much to uh, all our guests. Well, to Deb Osterhager about the Big Fin Squid. Thank you, Rex Hunter. And thank you, Farm. You're most welcome. That was great fun. Big show today. And thank you so much to Kent, who's been panelling for us today. Uh, You'll hear a voice very similar to Kent Panel Beater um, joining shortly for Radiotherapy. Uh, And Kent will also have our program up as a podcast sometime this morning. On our program next week, Cade's going to be in. We'll have Dr Beach with Life's a Beach. Uh, You would have been hearing uh, announcements via Triple R for Vigil for the Handfish. So we're going to be catching up with um, some of the people organising that next week. Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.